Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio, converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Help us understand what the hell's going on in 2021. Mediums for storytelling are as old as humanity itself. Right? So literally that fireside chat 3,000 years ago is something which has been perpetuated and even using that very idea to speak to people, one to many. You know, a technology like radio is just that. I mean, the famous Franklin Delano Roosevelt fireside speeches during the Depression to keep people's hopes alive, to articulate his agenda, to be able to communicate at a very guttural level about what, what the country was encountering. And I think that, that there was also, but it was, it was relatively narrow versus today. So this narrow band approach of telling a story, sitting intimately in the room, even the way he named it, he had the whole package around that so that people felt like, you know, the president was sitting in their living room, having a chat, he cared. Then we go through this crazy period of social media, well, television, we'll get back to television, social media, and it just blows out. There's no more intimacy. It's all aggressive. I, this is what I believe, you know, anonymity, uh, you know, who's talking, who's, what's real, what's not, fake news. I mean, it just became this, this quagmire of noise. And then the visuals across it and the video images. And I think the human brain just has needed, is just saying, time out, you know, hold on, let me get back to trying to connect at some level at some place. And there's two approaches, two things have happened. There's been a bifurcation, people who just feed on video, and video clips and short clips, as you've seen the data on this, right? Shorter the clip, the better. TikTok mm. and everything else is outweighing YouTube and others in so many other ways because of that format. But then you have people who are thinking, no, long form, long form reading, return of long form and audio and the opportunity to sit either quietly or to be active. When we, and I, I podcast and, and I listen when I'm walking. To me, that's when I'm most focused. Hmm. Everyone has their thing, some people when they're driving. But there is this, this, this split, um, I think, right now between people who are really care about listening, listening deeply, listening for the questions, anticipating, warming to the speakers, warming to the conversation, feeling that they're part of it, and, and really delving deep, which is, I think, what audio does. It allows you to delve deep versus the other fraction or, or faction, which are, well, I don't know, I won't, I won't label them, but others who just want immediate gratification, quick fixes, you know, uh, delightful little ideas, images that kind of make them smile or giggle or, you know, blush, mm. whatever the case may be. I think there's just a split. I mean, this is the schism of our time. And audio to me is uh, the vanguard of the future of, of storytelling. I really mm. believe that. I, I think it, there, there's, a, there's more to best in audio than ever before. And I'm, I celebrate the fact that so many people are responding and responding well to it. I was uh, just uh, checking out this app the other day, and it was called Curio. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's uh, mm -hmm. as a journalist, you might have come across across this, but basically, it curates 
the articles from Wall Street Journal, Economist, mm. you know, quality writing. Right. And then they get voice actors. So firstly, what they don't do is they don't get those horrible automated voices reading them. And right. then, um, well, you know, they don't serve up the whole podcast. It's not even the podcast. It's somebody reading the article. Oh. Uh, but like with voice actors, it's done really well. Oh, and I, 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 yeah, I tried out, I, I tried it out and then I ended up spending like a hundred bucks on the annual subscription. <laughs> but the point is, it's like, you know, it got me on that. But the point yeah. is I was going to pay for quality because mm. my alternative is like that noisy world that you talked about that, mm. you know, it doesn't do anything for me like Instagram or TikTok. I'm there, but it doesn't mm. mentally reward me. So when I'm out for a walk, I'm, you know, because I know, for example, if I listen to the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or The Economist, I know that the quality is high and yeah. it's worth my time. And yeah. I think that's, it's, it's, it's a very qualitative uh, medium, isn't it? And I, I wonder how that translates because the metrics don't add up in terms of eyeballs, right? Right. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm waiting for fatigue to set in for a lot of people. I think the masses at one point are just going to say enough of the noise. Um, they'll break. They'll find something they like, something that goes a little deeper. I think. I think in some ways, if you look to what happened with uh, with with film, you right. know, the idea of a big uh, a big screen, small picture, the idea of moving from Hollywood kind of owning that to then the whole television series and the arrival of Netflix and HBO originals and series where, mm -hmm. you know, you were taken on a journey, uh, the way that, you know, you would go through chapters in a book or, you know, mythologies were told, you know, one step at a time on, on a hero's journey. I, I think people are, are tired of the, you know, fast moving, quick and dirty. I mean, all you have to do with film, it's fascinating too. You look at the, the films from the 1920s and thirties, the thirties and forties, Hmm. Slow moving. There are pregnant pauses. No hmm. rush. You know those moments of contemplation. That that hmm. what we would today call awkward silence, were emphatic and important to the development of the story. Hmm. Now you watch a Hollywood film. Oh my God! If they give you less than half a second to breathe, hmm. they're not doing their job. They just drive you through the narrative and. You lose something. You lose that contemplative. You lose that nature. You, there's something that goes missing. Hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. There's a few oh, uh, Hollywood directors that are experimenting with that. Let's just make somebody feel a little uncomfortable in their seat right now. Hmm. But anyway, I, I do think the series, and I do think you, you know, you can draw out a narrative with with uh, with the uh, the Netflix and the HBOs and the other the, the television series versus a film. I would also say that, you know, I, I think there's a movement back towards audiobooks. I haven't looked at the stats mm. recently, but a lot of people have decided I don't want to give up reading, but mm. I would prefer to listen or I have an option to listen now uh, versus before. So it, I think the use of the word, if, if I'm not mistaken, curated, a, a mm. curated approach mm. where, and I think time is the premium. I know it certainly is for me, more than money, more than anything else. It's time. I'm time poor. And so I need to, I feel in my life, you know, at the ripe old age of 60, I need to, I need to be very thoughtful about how I spend my time hmm. and spend my time on things which are quality focused, whether that's doing what I do, the podcasts I do, and I try my very best with my limited capabilities, I do what I can to offer something 
but also my listening time as well. I, mm. I do not want to squander that. And it doesn't have to be all serious stuff. It could be entertaining. It could be out there. It could be on areas that I don't know, but I want to know something more about. It could be just a great conversation it, and, and that, that, that draws you in. Mm. So it's not the nature of what I listen to, the way that people create their audio experiences that make you feel like you're part of it. There's an intimacy that I look mm. for in, pod, in podcasting and audio. Uh, I don't know if that's true with others, but it's something that I seek out. Yeah, we're seeing it, aren't we? We mm. are seeing it in the more popular podcasts that they have hit upon that, whether by design or by accident, that they feel like you say, you're just sitting around a table yeah. and you're part of it. And they're, you know, obviously Joe Rogan format oh. has really sort of established that for Great a lot example. of people. Two yeah. and a half hour, you know, right. video, audio, and it's like people are gripped and Joe Rogan, say what you want. He, he's a good interviewer. You know, oh, yeah. he, he draws people out. He does not rush it. It's not like he's trying to push for the answers, which is very much of that hard hitting journalist style mm. that I think, you know, hit a wall at one point because you know, they had to have cut out, carve out space for the advertisers. So we got to get to the point, get to the point fast. Rogan could give a shit, right? Mm. What do you, they give him a hundred million dollars to feature on Spotify. Well, I I'd say, you know, you can do whatever you want. Right. And that'd right. be nice. Absolutely. And yeah. if you think about that deal as well, they did a hundred million on, they never said, well, they'll never make the money. But the day they announced that deal, their yeah. share price went up 10%. Yeah. And that was an extra two point seven billion dollars in valuation. So you, you tell them, you tell me that wasn't a smart move, right, for the Brilliant. CEO? Yeah. So let's, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm really fascinated by uh, some of the things that you're you're sort of throwing out there, and I know this is something that you've not just studied, but you've written about as well. But mythologies, mm -hmm. and you know, you've mentioned the hero's journey. And you yeah. mentioned, you know, reference the cave paintings and all these kind of things. We're going way back to like prehistoric yeah. time. Right. What was the, what, what do you think the, the natural connection is between, let's put all these on the table, see if these sort of add up. Um, sure. Mythology. So let's, let's talk about sort of the monomyths and you know, the big stories and these sort of, you know, these primal stories and yeah. audio and the third one leadership let's put all of these right. together do they do they oh, form like a what's in the middle of that <laughs> yeah. intersect of the venn diagram is there such right. a thing there right oh it's it's a what a wonderful question and you know you're just you know you're you're, you're plucking my heart spring <laughs> strings buddy i mean this is this is where i love to, to to sit and where i love to spend my time and my energy because i'm an absolute um smitten by myths and by mythologies and by great stories. And, you know, Joseph Campbell is being the, the great monomythologist who, you know, brought a lot of this learning to our attention. And of course, the very famous series of interviews done by Bill Moyers uh, and Joseph Campbell called The Power of Myth. And anybody who hasn't seen it and you can view it or listen to it, it's a six or eight part series, I think, uh, an hour conversation each. It's brilliant. And it breaks down the origins of our storytelling traditions. And it goes right back to the origin, to the very beginning of why humans need to tell stories. Mm. And you, even Harari, in his, in his very you know award-winning book uh, *Sapiens*, said the one great differentiating differentiating factor between the Neanderthal uh, and the Homo sapiens was the Homo sapiens' ability to craft stories, create narrative, and by virtue of doing that, create more of a collective approach mm. to problem solving. So they were able to basically 
group and you know the optimal level is 120 150 people and form tribes and form collectives and with those collectives they were able to then shift the whole balance of power in the world you know if you will so the idea of stories and being able to, to narrate and and then obviously look to the cosmos and try to understand our place in the universe um joe marchand has written a beautiful book called the human cosmos which is i recommend to anybody who hasn't read it it talks about the awe that we've always felt and our place in the universe these are the these are the, the heartfelt the, the the you know you, you write in the gut you know you you know you when you hear a great story or you see a great film or you read a great book something resonates and that something carl jung the great mm. uh, you know um a, a psychologist would say as archetypes we have these common set of symbols and understandings that exist through all societies and all cultures that we all identify with it's the thing that makes us human and if we tap into those those elements of what all makes us human and makes us feel like we're part of something we can actually then build and create and use stories to move ourselves forward socially and societally. And that that is a powerful force. It's not fully appreciated. I mean, in mm. the time of technology, we've in fact, I think, offloaded many of our thoughtful approaches to the importance of mystery of the universe and narrative. You know, the right brain issues. It's mm. all about left brain and what's empirical and clear and understandable. No, we're, we've, 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 we've given up on the mystery. And, and that to me, again, to bring this full circle brings us right back up to, you know, why forming great narratives and using audio and using storytelling styles is, is and will forever be a great format for delivering mm. important thoughts. To come to the last point in leadership, well, I mean, every great tale has a hero. Mm. Um, and I'd say in our modern context, the hero is the leader the corporate leader, the organizational leader, the political leader. I think we're going through a period of failed leadership. I think for the last 30, 40 years is, is a demonstration of that. But I think we're starting to get it back because people are waking up by virtue of COVID to the fact that we haven't listened. We haven't paid attention. We haven't looked at the signals and the symbols and we've, we've lost sight of them. And now there's this something that's moving and changing, I believe, both politically and in, in the world of for profit, which says we need to own this. And therefore, you're seeing a shift in, in the leadership paradigm, which I'm very, very hopeful. I mean, this is the focus of a lot of what I do with the podcast right now. And hmm. the Asia Corporate Leadership Council is focused on corporate leaders who are thinking about people and planet, you know, not just about the quarterly results and profit margins. That's a shift. And it's, it's definitive and it's all wrapped up with narrative, right? Mm. And, and it's not just telling people things so they'll go away and be quiet. It's telling people things that, that hit a certain chord and allow them to move the agenda forward. Um, you know, you have to be authentic in doing this. This is what great leadership looks like. So th it, it does come together and there are lines crossing there and there's a whole world of literature that's popping up around this subject right now, which is, uh, again, I'm, I'm very hopeful about, uh, Grant. Mm. Yeah, this is a really interesting subject here, isn't it? It's like, then when you talk about leadership, a lot of it has been reduced to PowerPoint, hasn't it? In the previous decades, it's like presenting information, presenting fact. And yet when you look at change and making change, it's the leaders who have harnessed the power of story. I mean, whether it's political or in business as well, that have that 
what almost is like Jedi mind power. To put it into context, I so I don't know if you've seen this one, Steve. Like um, Steve Jobs, when I mean everybody's seen like the iPhone presentation and stuff like the hero's journey and so on. But there was one that he did, which is just genius. It's like fucking amazing. He did that was his presentation to Cupertino Council. Have you seen this on YouTube? Is this the one where when he was sick or before? It was his uh, yeah when he was sick and he needed to yeah. get zoning permission yeah. for the the office, right? Oh right, yes, yeah. Have you, yes. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. It's yeah. like so to put it into context for the audio. Now it's like uh, basically he he goes there and he tells this story that you know, and the beauty of that story isn't necessarily the bit about they need to get a bigger campus. But the bit about where he is a kid and he f picks up the phone and pitches David Packard or, you know, one of the Hewlett and Packard guys. Yeah. And he picked up the phone and he got through to him on the phone and he was a 13 or 15 year old kid. And he said, yeah, I'm building a computer and I need some parts. And yeah. this guy just laughed at him and he yeah. said he got an internship at HP, which were like, yeah. you know, HP were the valley back then, right? Oh, yeah. And he went and did this internship and he said, I was just in heaven that summer. I worked at HP and I was just like, you know, this, this yeah. was like my dream come true. Right. And the interesting part about, you know, it's almost like the monomyth played out. It was just like, you know, whether it's Star Wars with like Obi-Wan handing over to Luke. Yeah. Right? Right. You know, now he, he painted this scene to the council, which was, he was standing on this sort of like cherry orchard, like ground with, I can't remember which one of the Hewlett and Packard or maybe both of them, one of them there. And he was saying, look, you know, he was showing them the land. And, you know, he, he said to the council that, you know, HP aren't doing so well these days. But, and they said that, you know, maybe we could buy the land from them. And I yeah. thought, that's genius. That He's like, I don't know. Do you think he's conscious of that? Because he's kind of seeding that sort of vehicle that exists, you know, whether it's like, you know, the atonement scene or the departure scene. So in other words, is he, is he intentionally crafting yeah. a story? Or is he intentionally well, borrowing you know, that vehicle so. or is it just no, kind of natural? Like I think it's natural, but I think it's also born of, I mean, you know what I think when I, when I heard, when I hear that story, I think of Moses leading his people out of Egypt and then sitting and looking over the promised land and saying, you know, there it is. You can go. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I will remain. Um, I mean, that's, it, it's almost that, that, that idea, you know, or, right. or any great film where you, you arrive at the end of the journey and, and there it is, it's the answer. And, it's always, you know, uh, pastoral and it always has that feeling of probably even cherry trees, right? Mm. Where, you know, there's, it conjures certain ideas of fruit and food and sustenance and, mm. you know, something beautiful uh, on top of that. So th these are, these are probably some people have a natural ability when they tell a story, it could be just around a dinner table or it could be in front of an audience of a thousand. They just naturally lean into ideas or images or descriptions that they probably have come up with, which is why I think it's so essential for all of us, young people and all, to, I mean, to, to read and to listen and to, to not give up on the old tales, the old stories. They're repeatable and they're essential that they're repeatable because it perpetuates the reason for who we are and why we are. I mean, it, it's not just an old story. It, mm. it, it, there's something that sits at the base of that story, which actually resonates with everybody throughout time. 
and throughout culture. And there are people who get that and they're not exploiting it. They're simply just harnessing it. And I, I think doing something very powerful, important with it. Mm. And there's natural storytellers and there are those who are contrived. And you can tell the difference. You know, when somebody has a prepared statement and gets up and it just, the, the wording just doesn't seem to, it's just not, I don't know, it's just not quite right. But, you know, Obama was genius in terms mm. of how he could take images and stories and create an idea um, just from the way he told the story. Just brilliant. Mm. What, what is probably the most scariest villain out there? And you, you I've, I've sort of like looked at this with like curiosity. Why is it that the scary villains that seem to resurface time and time again don't have human faces or if they have human faces they're disfigured so you've got like you know sauron in lord of the rings you've got like the yeah. joker the joker which is what i'm thinking of right yeah right yeah. they're disfigured faces yeah. because like what actually we really fear more than anything is the unknown we fear well, not if you yeah, can also, humanize it right it's yeah it's also those, you're, you're right not just the human faces but also their agenda and their agenda is absolute chaos, right? Right, chaos, not order. And there's this always this question: What do we really want as human beings? Do we want freedom, or do we want order? Hmm. And there's always that. You know, authoritarians will tell you it's order. You know, dem you know, uh, liberal democracies will say it's freedom. And there's going to be an internal debate about that one. But on the other side, no matter whether you know it's it's order or freedom, there's chaos. That mm. was Joker, that was Sauron, that was all of these great, they just, you know, that, that was their realm. Um, so that's a repeatable story. That's mm. a repeatable theme, something which from the beginning of time, you know, we, we have uh, the forces, you know, the underworld forces, the things that, you know, the evil, you know, whatever lurks is looking to kind of destroy whatever freedoms or orders uh, were, were, were allowable or were, were brought together by by the human race. So mm. again, I think that's what Trump represented in my view. It was like, tear it down, yeah. tear it down. You know, I don't care what we leave. We don't need to have a plan. Let's just destroy what we have because it's not good because I say so. Mm. And that to me, that there is a, there is a story there. It's not, it's not so much storytelling though. I would argue that's really just, it's inciting, you know, kind of a visceral kind of very, um, uh, what's the word I want? A very base response mm. from people, which Primal, I guess, yeah, yeah but, but, but crafting a narrative mm. where you use language. So I guess now the problem is going to be this, is that I'm a leader of a CEO of some, you know, name your sort of consultancy or energy company or whatever yeah. it may be. Mm. And now I'm challenged with these sort of multiple issues of one, I have, people are telling me I've got to be authentic and vulnerable. Like, you know, come on, I've done 30 years of not doing that. And I've been very <laughs> successful at that game, right? So yeah. that's the first thing. Secondly, yeah. I've got to tell stories. And like, yeah. you know, my mom used to smack me if she said, stop telling stories, right? So, yeah. you know, that's sort of ingrained in a generation and an age group. And, right. you know, it's almost like if I, if I have to do this, I'm like, I think about, I don't know, the analogies, but it's kind of like, it's telling David Beckham to go and out and train with his left foot. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm going to be as bad as the rest of them. You know, I'm going to be like competing with the intern who's got the data yeah. analytics degree, right? How, how do we, what do you do with these guys? Because they, they, they must be vulnerable, right? They must be worried, concerned that actually I've got to do all these things. I just want to keep my head down, see this thing through and like make it through to retirement. 
Well, you, I mean, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised. I mean, when I, uh, you know, as I marched into really embracing this whole corporate purpose area and trying to get to the bottom of it, um, which started a journey for me that started two and a half years ago and resulted in the in the creation of the Asia Corporate Leadership Council and even in my current role, you know, and what I do with the CEO of Board Advisory Work, it's really been about helping leaders reframe you know, what Mm. the agenda is about. And it's the idea of, you know, with purpose, can purpose and profit coexist? Well, we have evidence to suggest indeed it can. So you don't have to trade off, but you do have to trade your behaviors, your your method and the way that you actually lead. And wouldn't you know, you're going to love this. At the heart of it is not the ability to tell people what to do, but the ability to lead with questions to ask, to probe. Hmm. And you know, Graham, as much as much as well as anybody I know, right? Because this is your heart and soul stuff. This is your heartbeat. You know the power of a question. You know what it does is it basically it hands over to somebody. I care about what you think. I'm asking you a question. And, and once you say to somebody and you hand over, I care about what you think, I'm listening. That is probably one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader to say, I'm vesting my trust and belief in you in this moment in giving me a thoughtful response. If, if you don't have an answer, it's not like I'm going to punish you for that. Hmm. But I really trust and believe that you have something to offer right now. Do you see that shift from, listen, I just need you to go and you know fix this and get that percentage up there and you know eliminate those 20 people. That telling is just now you're just a cog in the system. But once you ask, what do you think we should do hmm. or, or what would be your suggestions? You empower. And that's empowering process through this new leadership paradigm, which is the challenge for many traditional leaders who've been told just hand down, you know, the, the, the marching orders and expect people to do it. And if they do it fast enough and well enough, we will profit and our costs will be manageable. Those days are over. Hmm. <laughs> You can do both, but if you do not get an organization, you know, involved at all levels, frontline, middle management, top leadership, um, you cannot be a purpose-driven organization. Hmm. This is the heartbeat of what I do now as I go in and work with corporations to help them figure out how to embed those practices, those behaviors in order to achieve a shift in the way that their organization operates and the way they profit. So it's it's a it's it's very interesting, and I, and this is what this is the thread. This is what you and I share yeah, for yeah. years. We've been asking questions. You know, I as journalists going way back when you through all the your podcasting work and everything else you've done, there is there is power in questions, and if hmm. people can just see that, I think the world will shift. That's how big I think it is. You've been listening to the Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle and Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.